0: Thank you, Tom and musicians, for leading us into the time of worship. Today is Doubting Thomas Sunday. In a recent book, Ravi Zacharias, a well-known Christian apologist, wrote about his colleague, Stuart McAllister, who in 1981 was part of a mission strategy, a mission team, whose primary task was to help churches in Eastern Europe by transporting Christian literature, by smuggling Bibles and hymn books and other Christian literature to believers behind the Iron Curtain. On one of those occasions, while attempting to cross a border from Austria to what is now, or what used to be then, former Czechoslovakia, uh, Stuart McAllister and, uh, and his colleagues were arrested uh, and thrown into prison after the guards discovered the Uh, embargo, the the cargo of literature that they have carried and smuggled through. And with any idea of when or how Stuart and his colleagues would be released, uh, Stuart's time of empty cell, of by himself, of being restricted, uh, brought to surface a number of feelings, a number of questions, a number of doubts. And he says, Stuart says the following in, in, in the book, in such circumstances, uh, we are forced to face what we mean when we speak of faith. Do we have to believe in spite, spite of the evidence to the contrary? Do we believe no matter what? How do we handle the deep and pressing questions our own minds bring as our expectations and reality do not match? Stuart continued, he said, for me, in my time in prison, I expected God to do certain things and do them in a sensible way and time. I expected that God would act fairly quickly and that I would sense in His, his intervention. My reading of Scripture, my grasp of God's promises, my trust in the reliability of God's Word, and the teaching I had received and the message I had embraced, had led me to expect certain things in a particular way. When this did not occur in the way I expected or in the timing that I thought it should, I was I was both confused and angry. And Stuart continues and he says... Since I had never given any conscious thought to worldviews in general or mine in particular, I was unaware how many unexamined assumptions I was living by. I did not realize how little change had penetrated my heart, and under pressure, the gaps were painfully revealed and felt. From the perspective of time, I can now answer these questions meaningfully, but I needed the experience of doubt and hardship to show me how much I did not know or was not rooted in the biblical answers to these core questions. Here's a man who was smuggling Bibles, who was risking his life for the sake of the gospel, and when pressured, when in difficult circumstances, he came to realize that his mind and his heart, in those moments of silence, of solitude, of being by himself, risk not knowing what the future will bring, here's a man who realizes that doubts are a present reality of our journey with Christ. What do you do when you're courted by doubts? What do you do when you're assaulted by doubts? Or worse, what do you do when you're controlled by doubts? How should we as Christians Or perhaps somebody's here today, and you may not have made that step of being a Christian, but you are thinking in your mind and battling in your heart with questions, and you're not sure, you're on the fence, you're not sure if you're going to move forward or go backward. Or perhaps you know some friends who are on the fence. What should we do with our doubts? Well, today is Doubting Thomas Sunday, and I want to deal with a question, the, the topic, the theme of, dealing with doubts. Would you open Scripture to John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. As you're turning your Scriptures to that passage, I encourage you, those of you who are visiting, encourage you to uh, take some time to fill our guest card, and at the end of the service, we'll be collecting these cards. Let's prepare our hearts for the word of the Lord this morning. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, father we thank you for this word we thank you for the opportunity we had another sunday another day to gather around to come before you to worship your name and to be edified through singing through the word lord we pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts today and lord we pray that you would speak to our doubts today every one of us at some point in our lives have battled with doubts and some of us may be here today in the midst of that battle lord i pray Would you allow Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, to speak to our doubts, just as he has spoken to Thomas? In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Now it is very tempting for us today, as we observe the Sunday of Doubting Thomas, to to assume that all types of doubts are supported by the story of Thomas. To assume that the story of Thomas's doubt legitimizes for us every kind of doubt that we might experience. If we look in Scripture, there is a number of doubts that Scripture will point and illustrate for us, and Thomas' story is just one of the many. I tell you, this week as I was preparing for, this, for the sermon, I was tempted to think through a, a number of other passages in the Bible, in the, in the Scriptures, of people who were struggling with doubts. Some of them were, were at the beginning of that struggle, others were on the other side of the struggle when they had been defeated. But we're going to focus on the story of Thomas and his doubt today uh, because he will point to, uh, to us not all the types of doubts that are in the scriptures, but there are some things in the story of Thomas and his doubts that tell us of ways we can deal with without our doubts no matter what they are. So first of all, I want to realize and recognize that when we talk about doubt in general, it is not just the doubt that Thomas had. Last year, we have spoken and talked about specifically the kind of doubt that Thomas had, his struggle. And I'm not going to repeat last year's sermon, although it was easy for me to do that. Uh, But but we're going to look at the issue of doubt in more general terms. And we're going to look at, first of all, we're going to look at the essence of doubt. We're going to look at the many facets of doubt. And finally, we're going to look at the remedy of doubt. But as we think and prepare our hearts to think about doubt, the the first thing I want us to realize about the story of of Thomas and and what he experienced is where and how the Gospel of John, the author of the the Gospel, the Apostle John, puts this sentence, puts this story. Look at verse 31, the last verse we read in today's text. Most theologians agree that Verse 31 is an encapsulation, a summary statement of the purpose for which John wrote the entire gospel. Would you read verse verse 31? Here's what John says. But these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now, here's the interesting thing. If this is what John had as a purpose for the entire gospel, he says, this is why these are written, that you may believe, the question is, why is John putting the story of doubting Thomas as immediately before this purpose statement? What is John trying to tell us when the story of the the doubting Thomas sort of, Forms the ending, the final story before John says, And this is why I have written all these things to you. Could it be that the last phrase that Jesus gives to the doubting Thomas is the transition for the purpose of the gospel? And look at the way Jesus ends the story, and the way Jesus ends the dialogue with Thomas. He says, Then Jesus told him, verse 29, Because you have seen me, you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed and this statement concludes for us the story of doubting thomas and prepares us it's a transition statement to john delivering the purpose of the entire gospel why is it that before giving the statement john gives the story of doubting thomas could it be could it be that john inserted the story right here right before the purpose statement of this gospel in order to show that the journey of faith is often marked by the conflict with doubt? Could it be that the story of Thomas stands as a final uh, reminder of the struggle we often encounter between doubt and faith? And if so, how should we deal with doubt? How should we deal with doubt and faith? Are they friends or are they foes? The essence of doubt, the many facets of doubt, the remedy of doubt. Some of us, when we think of the whole notion of doubt, we have a, a misconceived view that doubt equals unbelief. That doubt equals lack of faith. Now, there are a few passages in Scripture, there are a few scenarios in Scripture where doubt and lack of faith or doubt and little faith seem to have an equal mark between them. But that is just one way, that is one scenario where doubt shows up in Scripture. There are many other places, like I'm, I'm thinking of the story of, of John the Baptist, when, he, when he's in prison and he sends his, his friends or his fr- disciples to Jesus and asks Him, are you the one or should we expect for another? Now, did John have little faith in Jesus? And surprisingly, in that context, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, when he hears the story of and the question of John the Baptist and responds to him, then he goes on and teaches the disciples that no one, no one has been as great as John the Baptist. So, is doubt always equal with unfaithful or uh, lack of faith or, or unbelief? I think the picture that Scripture paints for us about doubt is more complex than that. And when we think of doubt, we have to realize that doubt points not just to unbelief or lack of faith. There are four four words in the New Testament especially that sort of describe doubt. And they're all in the Greek. I, I I won't read them all to you, but I'll give you the meanings that each of them have. First of all, there's a sense in which doubt is that... Process of reasoning when you reason with yourself or with somebody else in order to rise uncertainty, in order to to put a question mark over something that you may have believed. Now, this does not assume or does not imply that it's a wrong thing. You might have questioned something you grew up as as a child. You might be rationalizing some things you have heard from your friends on the street or from your coworker at work. You might have heard the news. And at first it seemed great, but the more you think about it when you drive home or when you talk to your husband or wife or other friends, like I don't know if I can really believe that. And you start rationalizing, you start reasoning towards doubt. And by the way, the Greek word for that one way of doubt is dialogizomai. We get that word from dialogue, from debate. There's nothing inherently wrong with that kind of, of doubt. You just raise questions and and. Pursue the uncertainty of that which you have heard. But there are other words that describe the word doubt in the New Testament. And they have to deal with wavering. Or they have to deal with, the other meaning is hesitating. You're just not going to jump on believing a news or be, believing a reality. You're just going gonna to wait. You're going to wait. There's a third idea, a third notion of Uncertainty. And then there's a final word that talks about a more more rigorous, a more uh, strong meaning, and that is the meaning of being double-minded. And all these words about doubt in the New Testament, when we think about them, ultimately have this notion that root meaning of these words is a divided judgment. Being in two minds about a matter. Now again, it might not be negative. The issue that you're dealing with might be something that requires you to have two minds, to really to hesitate, don't adopt something too quickly. Make sure you know what you are adopting. There's something positive about that. But nevertheless, the issue about doubt, when we think of doubt, has this notion of double-mindedness. Uh, Os Guinness, in, in his book, uh, God in the Dark, one of the most fascinating books on the theme of doubt, has said it this way. Doubt is a halfway stage. To be in doubt is to be in two minds, to be caught between two worlds, to be suspended between a desire to affirm and a desire to negate. Is doubt always negative? Depends on what or to what it is oriented. If after the economic crisis that we've experienced two, three years ago, you start experiencing doubt in the uh, protection that the financial market can bring you. That doubt may be a good doubt. God has been trying to tell us from the beginning, don't put your hopes in riches. So is doubt something negative? Depends of its direction. Depends what is it that you are doubting. In most of the scriptures, in the New Testament especially, the experience of doubt is often referred to, is often elaborated when doubt is directed against God. And that's why the, uh, the epistle of James says in, in one of the most beautiful pictures, uh, definitions of doubt in James 1, 6 to 8, talks about a person who is asking God something, and here's how he defines faith and doubt. But, he, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Friends, when we talk about doubt, we have to realize that it is not simply doubt that we should be concerned about. But we should inquire and think about the direction against which doubt is directed. The, the way, the, that target of our doubt, David Jeremiah said, Doubt is not the opposite of faith, but it's the opportunity of faith. Direction is very critical. So when we think of doubt and faith, are they friends, are they foes? You have to ask the question, what's the direction of my doubt? Because friends, sometimes, even as we think about doubting God, and doubt addressed or directed against God, we have to make a distinction between doubting God or doubting our view of God. They're two different things. And this brings us actually to the second point. The many facets, the many faces, the many masks of doubt Oz Guinness, in his book that I already mentioned, um, identifies seven types of doubt. And I I, want to read through and just uh, present them briefly to you, just to understand what are they and what are they caused by? What causes them? First of all, there is that doubt caused by forgetting. We forget what God has done for us. God slowly is seen as an unnecessary part of our existence. And slowly you start thinking that, oh gosh, all this stuff that I have, after all, I'm the one who's working hard at it. I'm the one who has to pull, pull, you know, wake up every morning and and, and pull the trigger every day and, and do it. Is God really as big of a deal in my life as I once thought? And this doubt is is built up in us by ingratitude. That's why in scripture giving thanks is such a crucial aspect. Because when we stop giving thanks to God, when we, when we stop remembering what God has done for us. One of the side effects of that is it builds up a soft sentiment of doubt. Is God really necessary in our lives? The second type of doubt is a doubt caused by a false view of God. This doubt is is a doubt born when we allow false expectations of God to fuel our minds. And when those expectations are not met, we start... Doubting God. And this was a story, this was a situation with Stuart McAllister. He was in prison. He had all these ideas of what God ought to do for him. And when those expectations were not met, he started doubting God. He didn't doubt God, he started doubting his own views of God. There's a big difference. Sometimes doubt is caused by a weak foundation of our faith. Sometimes the very reason why what brought us into faith and why we accepted to believe in God are things that are just should have never been accepted as true foundation of the faith. Some people would believe in God because they have heard that that if they become Christians, they'll live joyous lives, that everything will be great for them. And that is just a false pretension. That is a false foundation to build your faith on. So some people, when they experience doubt, is because they had weak foundations in the first place. Here's a third reason for believing in or doubting God. Doubt caused by a lack of commitment. People who believe the truth, but they have no serious engagement with the truth, and the key, problem, the key for these people is, the problem for these people is not God, but their lack of commitment. Such people will be doubting not only God, but everything they do in life. Uh, they began, either began believing in God with a half heart, or, here's a, here's a crucial part about this type of doubt, or disobedience had led them to doubt. There's a very easy way to pick out this type of doubt in somebody's, in somebody's heart. Ask them. You might, you might have somebody come in and, and say, you know, I'm struggling with believing in God. I'm struggling in, in believing that which once I held dear. One of the questions I ask is, is there something in your life, a particular sin that you have given into? Is there a particular aspect of disobedience that you have recently given into? Because you see, friends, doubt and commitment go hand in hand. When we stop being committed to that which we believe, we're going to start doubting. When we live our relationship to to truth in an uncommitted way or half-committed way, or worse, when we start living in disobedience to the truth, doubt will creep in. This fourth type of doubt is a doubt caused by lack of commitment. Here's a a fifth type of doubt. Doubt caused by lack of growth. When faith gets into a rut, when we become Christians merely by routine, when we do things out of routine, we go to the same Sunday school class, we do the same thing every day, we do the same thing every week, and there's just, I mean, that's it. There's nothing growing in our faith. And you're just on an autopilot it's a great place, it's a great time for doubt to start rising in your heart. Key for, these, for people who are, who are struggling with this kind of doubt is that it is not that people lose their faith, but they cease to use their faith. So the remedy to this kind of doubt is, start putting your faith into practice. Say, yeah, but I'm doubting it. Don't worry about your doubt, just start putting it into practice. Your faith is not being used, that's why it's, you're struggling with doubt. Doubt caused by lack of growth. Here's a sixth type of doubt. Doubt caused by emotion. Sometimes we experience doubt in our our own beings, and the reason what fuels those doubts are simply the fact that we have given in to some sort of emotional crisis, emotional attack that comes our way. And emotions are are, are something that are caused in our daily living by different factors. You can never put your hand or your finger on them. But whenever we allow those circumstances, whenever we allow those situations or crises to to develop feelings in us that are are not pleasant, and sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes it's, it's losing a job, losing financial security, losing friends, losing a dear one. And your world just gets turned around. Feelings will come up. Those feelings are very normal. But don't let those feelings fuel your doubts. Two authors that have uh, written on, 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 on the way we should respond to emotions which cause us to doubt. Oswald Chambers said the following, There are certain things we must not pray about. Now, this is Oswald Chambers. You know his, his little book, My Utmost for My Highest. He says, there are certain things we must not pray about. And here they are. Moods, for instance. Moods never go by praying moods go by kicking a mood nearly always has its seat in the physical condition not in the moral condition it is a continual effort not to listen to moods which arise from a physical condition and never to submit to them for a second martin lloyd jones the author that we are studying on wednesday nights on the theme of revival says the following about this issue of emotions Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? He says, You must talk, we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Doubts caused by emotions. So I, 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 don't, I no longer believe in God the way I, I, I once did. Well, is it just that something is going on in your life and your emotions are ramping up and have taken control over you and you have not realized that you cannot let your emotions control you? That we have to control our emotions. A sixth type of doubt. Doubt caused by emotions. Number seven, doubt, doubts caused by hidden hurts. Doubts caused by hitting hurts. These are people who experience disappointments in relationships, and uh, the disappointment is so hard that when they move to a next relationship, they have a hard time doubting trusting. And you may know no matter who you are in life, where you are in the stage of life, that's just the reality of how we, we live. St. Augustine, in, in one of his wonderful books, The Confessions, says the following. It is often the case that a man who has experienced a bad doctor is afraid to trust himself even to a good one. Why? Why is doubt in a, in a good doctor there if he's a good doctor? Well, because you had an experience with a bad doctor. And that hurt, that disappointment is still there, is in your heart. So the doubt you are experiencing is a doubt caused by unresolved, unhealed hurts. People with such doubts prefer to doubt because it is less painful to doubt than to risk, to run the risk of being disappointed again. They would like to be able to believe, but the pain of disappointment is still hurting. And friends, this is the story of a doubt of Thomas. Thomas's doubt was a doubt of a man who, who was a loyal follower of Jesus, who wanted even to go to die for Jesus. But the disappointment of the cross, the disappointment of, of all the promises that he had, that he thought he had about Jesus, when all of them was, were crushed, for him was too painful to believe again. It's a doubt of, of unhealed disappointments. It's a clash between the desire to believe again and the fear to believe. Why the fear? Because the wound is still open the wounds of disappointment are still open. What is the problem with this kind of doubt? Haas Guinness said, Afraid to believe what they want to believe, they fail to believe what they need to believe. And this is Thomas. They are afraid to believe that Jesus really was resurrected, that Jesus is alive, even though it is that belief that would heal him from the hurts and the healing, from the wounds of his heart. And as we come to think about how do we deal with doubt, the point about all these doubts and these these seven types of doubts is the following. Even though they're different, even though they have different causes, when we think of these kind of doubts in the spiritual realm, we have to conclude the following. In absolutely every one of them, the problem is not with God, but with the condition of the one who doubts. And that's why when we think about the essence of doubt, the essence of doubt is this double-mindedness. Can I challenge you with the following? When you think about and struggle with doubt, realize if you're going to have a double-mindedness about an issue, don't just put God on the trial. Don't just direct your doubt against God himself. Would you direct your doubt against your own view of God? Because every time we experience doubt, the problem is not with the object of what we doubt. The problem is with the condition of the one who doubts. What's the remedy for doubt? We've seen the essence of doubt. We've seen the many facets, many faces of doubt. What's the remedy? When on one side you can go back to each of the causes and say, well, let's just do the reverse. Instead of forgetting, remember who God is. Be thankful. Instead of of having false expectations of God, uh, try to to correct your views of God. If you're struggling with a weak foundation on your faith, learn the unshakable foundations. If you're lacking commitment, choose to obey. If your doubt is because of lack of growth, uh, decide to put your action into faith. If your doubt is because of emotional control, stop letting your emotions control your life. If your doubt is caused by open wounds, unhidden or hidden wounds of the past, ask Jesus to heal them. So there's a sense in which the encouragement whenever we encounter doubt is, try to find what is it that causes that doubt. But the story of Thomas gives us two more principles that apply to every kind of doubt. And here they are. Doubt grows whenever we experience disconnection and isolation. Doubt, no matter of its kind, always grows when we experience disconnection and isolation. Look at verse 24. The story of, of, of this, uh, the, the text of the story says, "Now Thomas called Enimus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples. Where was he? We don't know. The point is he was not with them. Where was John the Baptist when he sent word to Jesus if he is the Messiah? In prison. Solitary confinement. By himself. Friends, gro- doubt always grows in disconnection and isolation. Always. That's the way doubt works. So point is the first point we can learn from the story of, of Thomas and in, in the way we seek to remedy doubt is seek to reconnect yourself with a community of faith. Seek to reconnect yourself with a community of faith. Here's how you know that your doubt is transitioning into unbelief. We said at the beginning of the sermon that doubt is not necessarily unbelief, but it definitely can lead to unbelief. Here's how you know if your doubt leads you in the track, in the journey to unbelief. When your doubt leads you to take some time off from spending time with other believers so that you can figure this out, I have heard that phrase so many times. You, have, you see somebody who's struggling with something in their, in their spiritual life, and they need to make sense of it. They're, they're going in a, in, a, in a battle with doubt. And one of the first natural reactions that we do is say, you know what, I just need to take some time off and deal with this on my own. Friends, that is the most, that is the most prime place where doubt will grow unto unbelief. Let the story of Thomas teach us one thing. You want to reconnect, you want to remedy and and fight doubt and deal with it? Seek to reconnect yourself with a community of faith. But here's another, another principle that the story of Thomas teaches us doubt raises questions, but unbelief refuses to hear the answers. Look at verse 25. But he said, Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. Now notice, Thomas is not rejecting the conclusion of the disciples who are telling him, hey, we've seen the Lord. Thomas is not saying, I made up my mind. I just won't believe what you're saying. He's saying, unless I see it, unless I put my hand, unless I touch his hand, Now, this is not an uncommon request. You know why it's not uncommon? Because Jesus Himself has given this permission and has asked the disciples on their first journey, on the first appearance of of, of Jesus in their midst, to do the same with Him. Luke 24 tells us a story. Jesus told them, Put your hand in My hands and see. Thomas here is not asking for some evidence that is out there that's off the charts. Thomas is asking for the evidence which the other disciples had. You see here, the, the doubt of Thomas is raising a question and there's nothing wrong with us raising questions. But when your doubts lead you to deny the answers and to not be willing to listen to the evidence, that's when you know your doubts are leading you to lack of faith, to faithlessness, to unbelief. For him, the questions are leading him to examine the evidence, not leading him away from it. If there's one way we can think of of this principle, the second principle of how to deal with doubt, it is this way. Do your doubts lead you to examine the evidence that made others believe? Or do your doubts lead you to invent your own evidence? and you coming up with what you think you need in order to believe. You see, the, the evidence that Thomas requested was the evidence that the other b- disciples had as well. You say, well, great, I'll, I'd like to have the same type of evidence that Thomas had. Well, we are here today in the 21st century, and that day is gone. Today we live as believers and as followers of Jesus, having a different type of, of evidence that has led millions of other believers to believe in Jesus. And when we see today, when here here today, people will say, Well, I'd like to have the same kind of evidence. We have to read the rest of the story to understand that the evidence that Thomas and the disciples had was a very limited evidence for a limited period of time. Because a time will come, Jesus says, when people will no longer be able to experience the evidence the way Thomas and the other disciples have, and all they will have to do and their main evidence to examine will be the testimony of these events. And millions of other believers and other people have met Jesus through the testimony of these events. And nowadays when we ask ourselves, I would like to examine the evidence, well the first question is, which evidence? There are certain people today who would say, well, if I were in Thomas's place, if I had the same experience as Thomas, I would believe. Well, read the rest of the story. Here's, here's the amazing part, how Jesus concludes the story. He tells Thomas, you have believed because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the second beatitude, the only two beatitudes in all the Gospel of John. The first one is in chapter 13, when Jesus says, Blessed are you if you do these things. And now the second beatitude is this, Blessed are those who believe without seeing. You see, Jesus is teaching us that we, followers of the, followers of the apostles, are in a better position than Thomas, because our faith is a faith that is based not on sight, but on hearing And oftentimes people debate this and and think about doubt. Well, if I had the same evidence, I would believe. No, you would not. Because Jesus says, you are now in a better place, in a more blessed place, because you have an opportunity to believe without seeing. The belief, the the faith that Thomas had was a, a faith that was based on seeing, but the time will come. When people will believe without seeing. And Jesus says, blessed are they. You see, the struggle that a doubter has is not simply with seeing Jesus. It is with hearing the words of Jesus. And when we think about struggling with doubt, the second remedy in, in dealing without doubt is the following. Are your doubts, are our, is our doubt leading us to examine the evidence or leading us away from examining the evidence. Many people, just like with, with a situation of, of not showing up to the community of faith, not showing up to church when they go through a time of doubt, is they just take t- some time off reading Scripture and praying. And I want to say, that doubt is leading you anywhere but not to examine the evidence because the only evidence we have is in the written Word of God. The primary evidence we have is the written Word of God. And the more we read it, the more we hear it, the more we give chance to that evidence to prove itself in our hearts. So how should we deal with doubt? What is the remedy for our doubt? Number one, is doubt leading you to disconnection and isolation? If so, watch out. Don't let that trick you. Number two, is doubt leading you to the evidence or away from the evidence? As we think about the 21st century living today, the answers for our doubts are in the written word of God. Don't run away from these. Run to the evidence and see it for yourself. The story of Thomas and his doubts today stands for us as a reality, friends. That no matter where we are on the journey of faith, doubt will be an experience of every one of us. Perhaps for some it's just a little bit of shaking, for others a major cataclysmic shaking. No matter where you are in your struggle with doubt, take heart at these two hopes that Thomas and the story of Jesus encountering Thomas gives us. Community and examination of the evidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, as we approached this theme of, of doubt, recognizing the reality that doubt is a real experience in all of our lives, sooner or later, Father, I pray that you would teach us to recognize the essence of doubt. Father, I pray that you recognize us to. I pray that you help us recognize that doubt is a double-mindedness. Lord, I pray that you give us a, an ability to to focus and have your revelation and have the certainty that your word gives to us, have the certainty that your spirit reveals to our hearts as we seek you, as we seek the evidence. Father, I pray that you enable us to stay connected to the source, to the one who can heal our doubts. To Jesus, in his name we pray, amen.